Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Let me just stay with the weather for a moment because it is a very, very chilly day at today and the current cold snap, according to Met Aaron, is expected to worsen this week. We're looking at uh, frost, which we certainly have th- had this morning, ice, hail and there could even be some snow showers. Temperatures will go as low as minus three degrees Celsius by night uh, this week and during the daytime some days 2 to 7 at very very best Uh, Wednesday we're expecting it to be the coldest day of the week so keep get out the winter bullies if you haven't got them out uh, yet a very good morning to you and my thanks to John Paul for sitting in for me on Thursday and uh, Friday I came back from holidays this day last week and I was struggling with my throat. I picked up a kind of a bad strep throat that I was battling to get rid of at the end of the holiday, thought it was gone and then it wasn't and really kind of came back with a vengeance on Wednesday. So I'm back on an antibiotic. Uh, again, there's some, I don't know if it's the same bug that I picked up on holidays or whether I came home and I got another bug. It's hard to know. But I can already see some texts in from people uh, saying I had something similar myself um, and I'm still not right yet. Uh, it just it just seems to whatever bugs are doing the rounds at the moment, they just seem to take longer to get rid of and then when you're on I'm not a fan of antibiotics I have to say but obviously I take them when they're absolutely necessary but I always feel exhausted I don't know if anybody else would agree I always feel exhausted when I'm on an antibiotic I'm never so glad to take the last antibiotic and say let that be it and hope that I don't have to go on it for for many many years uh, to come so battling away still have another few days left of the antibiotic but please God over the worst of it but thanks to uh, John Paul who has as I say uh, filled in on Thursday and uh, Friday he's back taking your calls this morning at 1850 and I know one of the things that John Paul covered on Thursday on the programme was when he had Tipperary Independent Dáil Deputy Matty McGrath. Now Matty McGrath was on the programme to talk about rural crime and how he and a number of other rural TDs feel there should be a task force on rural crime and rural crime is certainly something we've addressed and spoken about on this programme so I was interested to hear Matty's views and we had a lot of people, a lot of our listeners texting and calling the programme agreeing with everything that Matty had to say and then Matty went from discussing rural crime to also talking about the stricter drink driving laws and he was scathing of the fact that we have Gardaí out on the beat on a Saturday or a Sunday morning particularly a Sunday morning breathalysing people as they're heading to Mass almost 
almost kind of insinuating that they were trying to catch people out, people who would have gone out the night before, who would have done everything right, you know, they had a designated driver or would have got a, a taxi or a hackney or if they, they were lucky enough to live in an area of public transport, would have come home on public transport. But then the next morning, getting up, going somewhere, be it going to mass, bringing the children, training out early in the morning and that they get breathalyzed, bagged and they're over the limit, just slightly over the limit because they still have alcohol in their system, but you're still not meant to drive the following day. And Matty was critical of that, saying that that's wasting guard the time almost, that those Gardaí could be out on the beat in the evening time trying to find roaming criminals that are you know roaming around the country causing a lot of the burglaries and the rural uh, crime. So drink the issue of drink driving came into it and the stricter drink driving laws. And then yesterday I was reading in the Sunday Independent that the Transport Minister Shane Ross he launched a scathing attack on what he's calling the lunatic fringe at Leinster House, he says, who are opposed to his tougher drink driving laws. He also said that any government minister who criticised the enforcement of the laws, he says they're unfit for office. And uh, obviously he was he's getting a lot of this uh, criticism from not just the rural TDs. I mean, the fact that he mentioned government ministers, I'm assuming behind closed doors, he must be getting criticism about the tougher drink driving legislation from leading members within the uh, government. Um, And on that issue that Matty McGrath raised of breathalysers, people being breathalysed the morning after across the country, there are stats out that over the New Year period, 43 people out of a total of 445 were arrested between the hours of 9am and 12 noon on suspicion of drink driving. So that's 10% of those that were arrested for drink driving were the morning after from between 9 and 12 midday. Now Shane Ross was writing in the Sunday Independent yesterday and he said despite intense pressure from vested interest groups on his government colleagues he does enjoy their full support for this life-saving drink driving legislation but he criticised anonymous politicians he says who are lurking in the shadows to brief the media about drink driving laws. He said there are some very odd people with very soft voices roaming the corridors of power. He said it's a sobering thought that they're are low standards in high places when it comes to uh, drink. Oh, making people feel a, a tad awkward, no doubt, in in Dáil Éireann. But I mean, he can't criticise the likes of Matty McGrath, or our own Michael Collins, or even the he, the two Healy Ray brothers, because they certainly are not anonymous in their criticism of uh, Shane Ross. And I just thought it was interesting because, as I say, so much was spoken about that on this programme last Thursday. And I was going back over the text messages that came into to the programme and I could not get over the amount of people who were almost 100% backing Matty McGrath and Matty McGrath's views on both the stricter drink driving laws and also uh, the rural crime. And I don't think anyone, anyone is going to advocate for drink driving. Everybody, we want our roads to be as safe as uh, possible. But this targeting people the morning after, just, I don't know what it is, it just doesn't sit comfortably with me unless they can show me 
accurate statistics that show that there are a huge amount of road traffic accidents caused the following morning due to people still having alcohol in their system. I'm not, no, I'm not talking about somebody who was up all night and didn't go to bed until six o'clock drinking all night and then gets up at eight o'clock and starts driving. They deserve to, to, to be caught. But somebody who went to bed at a reasonable hour and is just slightly over the drink driving limit should they be targeted the next morning. Your thoughts uh, welcome to 1850 Somebody straight away sending in a text saying the bar in the Dáil should be closed and it is whenever we hear politicians and you know particularly from a transport minister like Shane Ross or anybody talking about tougher drink driving laws we will inevitably get somebody text in. Isn't it almost hypocritical that here we have our politicians talking about stricter drink driving laws all over the country um, and yet there's a door, there's a bar outside the door of, you know, where they're discussing tougher drink driving laws. I mean, I don't know of any other place of work where you can finish doing whatever you're doing, writing up your report, taking your phone calls and then at lunchtime, oh sure, I'll just nip into the bar here and I'll have a pint. And I'm not saying that all politicians do that, but the very fact that they have a bar there, should it actually be closed? Should they be leading by uh, example. Uh, Pat says, uh, Hi, uh, Patricia. Fianna Fáil did not stand up for rural people against uh, Shane Ross. Fianna Fáil did not. They are no uh, good. Uh, and I'm assuming you're talking about Fianna Fáil supporting this government is, and you feel that they shouldn't be supporting the government because of what Shane Ross is doing for uh, rural Ireland. 1850 your thoughts and comments welcomed. And I also would be, if you watched Dancing with the Stars last night, how did people feel about the first dancer to leave? And it is uh, Eilish Carroll uh, who joined us. And I see one of the papers have her uh, down as Eilish um, Brown. Instead of Eilish or Carol. Anyway, I'm sure Eilish won't, won't, won't mind that. She um, she joined us only last week on the programme talking about her rehearsals and she was oh so positive and full of life and really enjoying herself. So for that reason, I, wa- I felt sorry for her last night when I went down to the last three. Eilish, um, Demi Isaac from Mallow and uh, Peter Stringer. And I was thinking also oh, the three with the cork, you know, the two, Peter Stringer and from Cork and Demi Isaac from Cork and Eilish who has, has a house in West Cork. I was thinking, oh, it's, it's the three with the Cork connections are gone into the bottom three. But my, I just I just had a feeling it was going to be Eilish. I just, my heart sank for her. I really, really uh, did feel sorry for her. And I thought she had done really, really well when she danced last night. She danced to what was described by some as a sexy samba, even though there was some uh, criticism Brian Redmond, who is the, the mean and the nasty judge. So they're always, I mean, that's what makes for good TV, doesn't it? To have a mean uh, judge. And Brian uh, Ormond, you know, was kind of critical of her, well, he actually slated her, her performance, but did say that he hopes he has the same energy when he was uh, 66. And I was glad to see Eilish jump in straight away and say that age is not a factor. She's she's here to learn, you know, which which is true. And age, age shouldn't be uh, a factor. So afterwards, she's quoting the papers as saying, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to have a lie in though tomorrow this, this morning but she said it has been uh, great. When she was asked about Brian Ormond's the judge's comments she said I thought they were fair enough they were a bit harsh but then that is uh, Brian if you don't tick the box you don't 
he said what he thought uh, and I thought it was a fair comment so well done to Ali she's not holding any grudges uh, that's for uh, sure so she, she's she gone she's the first to go and I was hoping she would remain in a little bit longer because I thought uh, in particular I was waiting for her to do waltzes I thought she would have been particularly good at waltzing and just you know sort of sailing around uh, the dance uh, floor. So did the right person go last night on Dancing with the Stars? That's what we're asking uh, you uh, today. And there was a power cut at the studios in Bray and it went off uh, air for more than five minutes. I'm sure there was frantic efforts to get generators uh, going, uh, etc. But all went smoothly for the rest of the show. And it was a good show. And I think it is, it, it's, it is a good slick show for our uh, for RTE, we seem to do those reality shows. I mean, I know the idea is is taken from the BBC's uh, Strictly Come Dancing, and it's a concept that's been sold around the world. Just in other countries, it's it's called. They, there's a name change. It's normally Dancing with the Stars. I think it's in America as well. It's Dancing with the Stars, but as a concept of a show, it works very well, and we and RTE are doing it very well. But just I certainly was disappointed to see Eilish go. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Your thoughts and comments welcomed. You can text your WhatsApp. 0862-103-103. Coming up on the programme this morning, waiting times for eye operations to go see the ophthalmologist at Cork University Hospital described as shocking and unacceptable. And we're going to speak with one local GP. And when I was doing some work for this interview over the weekend, uh, Straight away, thought of our what we affectionately call our cataract bus, and the bus. How many buses now at this stage have gone from West Cork and uh, Kerry, and taken countless numbers now of older people up to Belfast to have exactly these appointments. People who are just sick to the teeth of staying on this waiting list, not getting the appointment to go and see the eye specialist. And then when they do get the appointment, they then have to go on another list to wait for the operation. And we're talking about in the main cataract operations, which are relatively simple procedures. And, you know, they, they can be done in about 20 minutes. We're, we're proving that with the cataract bus. We can fill a bus in West Cork. We can send these people to the other side of the country, other end of the country. We send them up to Belfast. They're seen by the specialists. They overnight in a B&B. Uh, they're in the next morning. They have their 20-minute procedure done, almost like in a conveyor belt. I'm assuming one's out in the waiting room, one goes in, in, out, in, out, in, out. They all hop on the bus and they go home and then they can be seen locally at home for taking the patch off and all of that. They don't have to go back to Belfast. So it's a simple enough procedure and yet we have some of the longest waiting times here in Cork which explains why we have a, a cataract bus and why people are queuing up to get on that bus. We'll talk about that uh, this morning. A new initiative to help with the effect on children of living with parental alcohol abuse and we're talking here about both little children today who are living in a household where there's problems with alcohol it would have been Christmas I imagine would have been a very difficult and a tricky time for a child who has a mother a father or in some cases both who battle with the addiction of alcohol. You can imagine how difficult Christmas would have been. But we're also talking about adult children who have moved away from the family home now, but they carry they carry with them 
the effects of growing up in a house when one or other of their parents was an alcoholic. And I imagine there's probably shame attached to it. It's probably, in some cases, is a topic that many people mightn't discuss. It must be hard to admit to somebody, oh yeah, my dad was an alcoholic. Oh yeah, my mum was an alcoholic. We came home to no food on the table or we came home to the the lights were switched off by the ESB because the bill wasn't paid, because there was no money to pay the bill, because too much money was spent on alcohol. And, and the effects of seeing one of your parents like that and then there could be personality changes as often there is when somebody drinks when they don't drink they're a lovely person and then when they get drink into them they can become absolute demons and that can bring with it all kinds of abuse so you can imagine the effect that it that has on a child that they and they bring those effects if they don't deal with them they bring those effects with them into adult life and I imagine in how they form relationships and probably how they parent themselves as well so it's a topic that really I don't think gets a lot of attention or certainly I I can't remember a lot of media focus on this particular topic. So we're going to be talking about Hidden Voices is the name of this initiative from Alcohol Action Ireland. An ESRI report showing educational damage on children who own a mobile phone from the age of nine. This was a very, very worrying piece of report that came out showing that if a child has a mobile phone at nine, by the time they get to 13, it's showing that they are behind on both maths and their reading and writing skills versus a child who didn't have a mobile phone from nine. Now, nine seems such a young age to actually own a mobile phone. But then when you think about it, because it's something we've discussed before, nine is eight or nine is the age, isn't it, where children make their first Holy Communion and always at first Holy Communion season, which is just around the corner, kind of kicks in around May, there will be the discussion around some of the children will buy their first mobile phone or their first smartphone and they'll buy it their first Holy Communion uh, money. So obviously the first generation of those children who started buying those smartphones with their Holy Communion money have now reached the age of 13 and now there's evidence there to show that for those that owned, that had the mobile phone for those four years, they will do worse at maths and English reading and uh, writing skills. That that's something that we have to take very, very seriously indeed. Pamela Swain of Operation Transformation. She is one of our leaders this year and she comes from Yall and she's doing the whole county of Cork. So proud. We'll catch up with Pamela on the programme uh, today. And Annalise Trissell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic will join us final hour of uh, the programme with nutritional advice. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And while everybody's talking about today is the gloomiest Monday of the year. It's known as Blue Monday and it's got to do with credit card bills and uh, low motivation and, and people waiting to get paid and all of uh, that. Uh, the advice, by the way, from one happiness guru is to improve your mood, take a small step towards a goal and you'll start feeling better and the next step will appear. So do something to try to uh, cheer yourself up. And we are doing our bit because we got a lovely email in and I was meant to bring it to you last week and then when I was off, obviously I didn't get around to it. And then I said, oh, that's delighted that I have it today for what is meant to be this gloomy Monday because this is a really lovely email that was sent in. My thanks to Kionath uh, O'Sullivan for sending this in to me. He is the school secretary at the Gwail Skull in uh, Clonakilty. And it was an email or a letter, I'm not sure, or was that was sent in from a local lady in Clonakilty who took the time to write to the school because she wanted to 
mark an act that boys from the school had done and she, they got permission from her to put it up on their Facebook page and they did and then Kionet sent it on to us to say it might merit a mention on the programme and when I read it I said absolutely it merits a welcome and this is the letter that was sent from this lady in Clonakilty into the local Gwaleskull in Clon to say hello I would like to pass on um, a, a, a commendation to a few young lads, maybe between the ages of 8 and 10, who on Friday evening dropped what they were doing. I assumed they were walking home from school on the Western Road in Clonakilty, stood perfectly still and blessed themselves as a funeral cortege that I was walking with passed them. Fair play. And it was noted and commented on by a few other mourners. It was lovely to see the respect and the dignity that these young lads showed. I don't know the boys, but thank you. It was much appreciated. They are a credit to your school and to their parents. And that was sent in, as I say, from a woman who, um, obviously she was walking behind the funeral cortege. So it was obviously, I'm assuming, a member of her family, someone that she knew well was being buried. But wasn't that lovely, those young lads on the way home from school, uh, to be of that age, between eight and ten, young lads, but they knew straight away because... I certainly remember because it, it brought me back to my childhood when I when I read the letter from the lady, because I remember when I used to when we'd be walking home from school, we'd never be on the way to school, obviously it would be too early. But I remember that you straight away stopped no matter where you were and everybody did it. You just you stopped, you stood, you waited for the hearse. And if there was people walking behind or the main chief mourner cars, you wouldn't wait, you know, because it was a big funeral. You wouldn't be waiting for, you know, there could be hundreds of cars passing. But you certainly waited for the hearse, the main people walking and, you know, the chief mourner's cars and you waited for them to pass. And then you went on about your way. But you would have stopped, bowed your head and blessed yourself as the funeral cortege passed. And I know in some, and I don't know if this goes on in many places, but I know in some towns, if a funeral was coming down through, say, a main street, that the shop owners would switch off the lights for the couple of seconds as the funeral cortege was passing. Now, I don't know if that still happens today, but I thought it was lovely that these young lads in Clonakilty knew exactly what to do as just as a mark of uh, respect. Because when I... I'm driving, when I'm leaving the studio in Mallow and heading back into the town of Mallow, there's a graveyard uh, that I have to pass on the way. And every now and again, coming against me will be a funeral. And I will always pull in. I just indicate and I pull in and I wait. And you talk, I mean, it doesn't even run to minutes by the time the hearse and the people walking have passed by. And I, I and I know I mentioned it a couple of times on air. I used to get so annoyed at people who would overtake me. They would see what was coming against me. I'd indicate to pull in. Now, you know, some of the days people will pull in straight away behind me and realise what I'm doing. But on other days you will have people who will indicate to overtake me and nearly crashing into the people who are in the funeral uh, cortege. It just never ceases to amaze me. Just the lack of respect. Are people, are we that busy with our lives that we can't stop and show a little bit of respect to the person that's dead, but also to the people that are grieving and to our, mo- to our mourning. So well done to those young lads 
and that and I don't know the lady's name I don't know who she is who, who took the time to write well done to her as well and uh, I think you know her parting line there a credit to the school and also to their parents they are indeed so so well done Now Cork patients are enduring a shocking waiting time for ophthalmology appointments with more than 2,000 people waiting for 18 months or more The figures were revealed following a parliamentary question posed by Fianna Fáil Deputy Michael McGrath and the figures have been described as unacceptable by your based GP Dr Declan Matthews uh, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you Declan. Good morning. Uh, and you? You, I'm very well. Now the total figure from the HSE is 7,126 people waiting for an eye appointment at Cork University Hospital. Would I be right in saying the majority of these people are older people? Oh absolutely. I would have thought most of them would be the elderly people, people with cataracts, people with macular degeneration, that sort of problems, problems that lead to blindness, if, if not dealt with sooner, you know. We've spoken many times on this programme about what we affectionately call the cataract bus, which leaves uh, from West Cork. It's nearly every week at this stage. Can you understand why people are travelling to Belfast? Many of these are in their 80s and 90s. Absolutely. There must be nothing worse than losing your eyesight as you get older. It sort of leads to lots of different problems. It can lead to more accidents in the home because you can't see where you're going. It can lead to more social isolation. And this is sort of one of the big problems of modern society is social isolation. But if you can't go out and meet people, what are you going to do? It leads to huge problems with, for carers. The carer burden becomes much more than normal. Yeah, I know one of the elderly people we spoke to who went on the cataract bus was the carer himself. And he suddenly couldn't drive and they were in a rural area. Two people could have ended up needing care. Absolutely. But the problem with the cataract bus is a brilliant idea and it's absolutely great. But that's how many people can you put in a bus every weekend? You're not going to make much difference to 7,000 people, you know. Yeah, and the other thing that really gets to me about the cataract procedure, it's not a very complicated or lengthy procedure, sure it's not? No, or costly. It's, it's you know, so you, you, you wonder why, you know, it's not lengthy, it's not costly, it's, it's sort of frequently done, very minimal side effects from it. So you, you would have thought it's one of the ones that actually we should be able to improve on. And as a GP, is it adding to your workload with repeat visits, etc.? Absolutely, of course it's adding to our workload. And I mean, what's really adding to our workload is the politician's answer to this. The politician's answer to this sort of problem is they tell the patient, go to your doctor and get a letter and I'll see what I can do. The patient comes to us, gets the letter and the politician then comes back to the patient a few weeks later and says, oh, your doctor needs to write a better letter. <sighs> now, What's a better letter? Do they want us to lie or to exaggerate or what do they want to do? And if there's anything I would like to come out of this morning's interview, it's would politicians ever stop sending patients back to doctors to get better letters? It's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy, yeah. It's uh, almost and your, like your, workload, your workload is, is, is high enough as it is. Absolutely our workload is high enough as it is. And if I'm asked to write a letter for a patient, I have no problem advocating for a patient. That's part of my job as a GP. But it's sort of asking me to sort of exaggerate or maybe to shove in a few lies here and there. That's where I get annoyed because they only use it then, the politicians use it then as an excuse why they can't get the patient bumped up, mm, the, mm. up the waiting list. Okay, what's the solution to the problem, Declan? The solution to the problem is, is now, problem with eyes is, as 
I said, cataracts is a big problem. Macular degeneration has become a huge problem. And macular degeneration, we're diagnosing much more of it. There's been a huge increase in the incidence of it. And it's, it's complicated a procedure. It usually involves patient getting an injection into their eye every ah. month. So you can see there's a huge workload attached to these sort of problems. The problem is we need to appoint more doctors and more nurses on the ground to deal with the problem. But nobody will take that decision. Yeah, and I'm always slow to say is it back to funding because we just seem to throw money at the health service and that never seems to solve the problem. I know, but then when, when the crisis hits, we throw more money at it and that certainly doesn't solve the problem as we saw with the, um, with the, with the recent crisis with cervical check. You know, yeah. We wait till it's absolute crisis and then we throw millions at it hoping that'll solve it. Wouldn't it be much better if we could solve it before we got to that phase? And, and on a separate and perhaps more worrying note, is it true you want to highlight the lack of calm services in the East Cork area? Oh, yeah. And I don't, as I say, I, I, I promised I'd stay calm for this interview. Don't get me going on calm services. We in East Cork area have had no calm service effectively for about two years. There is a CAMS department and it's being manned very, very well by psychologists and social workers, but we have no consultant backup. We have no consultant psychiatrist in the East Cork area. So if I have a child tomorrow, 10 or 12 year old, who I'm worried about, isn't absolutely acute, so I don't need to send them up this minute, but I would like them seen in the next few weeks. I have nowhere to go. And as a GP, I have psychiatric training. I do not have pediatric psychiatric training and neither do most GPs. And it's a totally unacceptable situation. And CAMS, of course, is the Children and Adult Mental Health, uh, Adolescent uh, Mental Health uh, Service. And are you seeing more children presenting? We are seeing much more children presenting. Yeah, there is an awful lot more. It's just a sad reflection on society, but we are seeing an awful lot more children presenting. But as I say, the frustrating thing is there's nothing we can do with them. What, what do you put that down to? I don't know. I think somebody has to look at the job. There was consultants did come and take up the post in the CAMS for the East Cork area, but uh, seemed to have left after a few months. Don't know what the problem was, whether the job description or the job isn't quite what they thought it was going to be. I don't know, but somebody needs to look at it. So a child comes into you, you know you need to refer them on. What do you then say to their parents? I say, I know, I know I need to refer you on, but I have nowhere to refer you to. So I am left trying to manage as best I can, not feeling exactly comfortable and safe in doing that, but that's all I can do. My God. My God, that's, that, that's I mean, the ophthalmology one is, is, is a worrying one, but I think the CAMS one is far more worrying, Declan. It's absolutely far more worrying. As I say, it's the sort of one that most GPs in our area lose sleep over at night because it's the one that can... You, you, when you're dealing with children and when you're dealing with sort of vulnerable teenagers, it can go wrong very quickly. And by wrong, I mean they can actually do something. They can yeah. actually harm themselves. Um, and so it leaves you sort of feeling very, very uncomfortable when you're dealing with those situations. OK, all right. Uh, we leave it there, um, Declan. Isn't thank you for that and uh, okay. thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. Okay. That is uh, Dr Declan Matthews, who is a GP based in Yall, another one of those wonderful GPs who are, are always just so kind and caring and always trying to think 
of their patients and trying to put their patients first and the frustration of knowing initially we thought it was eye appointments we were talking about but knowing that an elderly person needs to have a cataract operation they know that they're just going to be added to a waiting list but I think the CAMs have a lack of uh, children and adolescent mental health services in the East Cork area I knew there was an issue I didn't think it was quite as bad as that and he says it's been going on for about uh, two years 1850 333 Pat in from Moy this is on ophthalmology that we kicked off that interview with saying I've had my two eyes done this is I'm assuming both cataract operations done but I was waiting two years to have the operation carried out, carried out. I ended up going private it cost me over €3,000 I was in hospital all day and I was charged €800 Euro just for the for, to, to be in hospital for the day I got the other eye done a couple of weeks ago but it was on by public service with the HSE and they sent me to the Martyr Private. They had me on eye drops before the operation. I could choose a time for the operation between 7 and 8am and I was only waiting 10 minutes when I got to the hospital. It all ran very smoothly and I got a call the next morning from the surgeon just to make sure it was okay. So when they want to do it they can do it. Yeah and that's the treatment where they where they buy in treatment the National Purchase Treatment Fund and they've been doing that for quite sometime with a number of different operations ophthalmology is one of them they do it with kips as well don't they a knee operations straightforward hip and knee operations they do it with as well but it proves they can be done if they want to do it and that's what they should be doing they should be using the private hospitals if the private hospitals have capacity then use the private hospitals get the patients in there but you know allowing older people to go blind and all the problems that that brings with it you know I think Declan is right he talks about if you have an older person whose eyesight is deteriorating because of a cataract and they have a fall then they can break a hip they'll end up in hospital You could they could end up needing nursing home care many years before they would ever have needed the nursing home care if they hadn't have had the fall why did they have the fall? They had the fall because their eyesight is deteriorating and they didn't see the step um, and therefore you know they ended up getting a lot of other health issues so it's it, it's just it's a waste of money it's totally a waste of money it is just not cost effective we should be getting these patients seen to and not expecting them to be waiting I mean 2,000 older people to be waiting 18 months or longer is just not right 1850-333-103 Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 when we were talking about the cataract boss Tim from Mill Street says hi with Brexit will this service be stopped I mean that is a big big concern and a lot of people are very worried about that because it is an EU cross border initiative the fact that it allows people from the south to go to Belfast you pay up front but then you claim the money back from the HSC and likewise people could come across the border from the north down into the south and have procedures done pay up front to private hospitals and then claim the money back but yes when when Brexit happens and the United Kingdom are no longer part of Brexit then yes more than likely people will not be travelling up north to have the eye surgery done which will be a real real shame and it'll only add to the waiting list that we already have Dean in Carrigal Alliance says we have a government more worried about people coming into this country than looking after their own we need to do what they've done in France and tear up this country with protests it is the only way that they in the government will listen and Mary in Mallow says maybe they should inquire why doctors and nurses are getting so many short contracts 
for example, been given a one year contract to doctors and nurses. These contracts are literally too short. If they gave them proper longer contracts, you surely would have more nurses in the system and that would reduce waiting lists. The HSC are depending too much on agency nurses, which ultimately is costing the HSC more money. It all seems crazy. And wasn't there something at the weekend about the Australian, the Irish nurses in Australia coming out saying, you know, you know, make the make the the job offers decent job offers to make the conditions better, and we may consider coming back uh, to you. I'm sure I saw that over the weekend. We need to do something. We we have an issue with retention. We have an issue with too many of our young nurses and doctors almost as soon as they're qualifying, getting on planes, boats, and um, airplanes, and just leaving. And you know, I only spoke about it last week. The conditions certainly in Australia for the medics, for the doctors, and the nurses are way better. Nobody would be asked to work uh, a 12 hour shift. Anybody asked to be on a 12 hour shift would be, you know, for doctors in particular, would be, would be looking at you with 10 heads in Australia where it's not uncommon here for a junior doctor to be rostered on for three 24 hour shifts in one week. So we need to make conditions better, that's for sure. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed busy morning when it comes to calls and texts uh, to the programme. Thank you for your patience. Reminding you, you can always email patricia at c103.ie. Text and WhatsApp as well. If you want to call back and you're frustrated because you can't get through because the lines have been busy this morning. 0862 103 103. And an email into patricia at c103.ie and this is on the drink driving laws. Drunk drivers deserve to have the book thrown at them says Andrew in Drimmer League. But the police are rather the politicians who have introduced the current stricter drink driving laws should be very, very careful as the relationship between the police and the general public could easily be damaged by the implementation of laws that are perceived by some as draconian. And that's from Andrew in Drimmer League. Thank you for that, um, Andrew. Sheila is very annoyed with Shane Ross and his stricter drink driving uh, laws. Sheila says her son bought a house out in the countryside. Now, if he's going out in town he will stay with Sheila it's the easiest way obviously difficulty trying to get maybe taxis or hackneys back home maybe it's too expensive so he'll stay with Sheila in town but Sheila says because of that there are a lot of pubs closing down into Hollow and particularly along the Cork Kerry border the revenue lost to the government over the closure of these uh, premises uh, is only going to continue to uh, rise they're going to lose revenue from the hospitality sector Uh, I think Shane Ross is a disgrace says Sheila and that's coming from Sheila who describes herself as somebody who has never drank she is a tea total. Jim says, Patricia, I agree with your, the listener who was on earlier talking about the Doll Bar and how the Doll Bar should be closed down. Is it true that there is, there was a lower limit for TDs leaving the Doll or was that just a myth? And do you know what is the limit for commercial drivers and is it the same for all commercial drivers, says Jim? Well, I certainly never heard of a lower drink driving limit for TDs leaving the Doll. I know at one stage there wasn't there, there was talks about there was rules that they couldn't be breathalyzed when they were driving because they were on government business. I remember there was a lot of, some people said it was urban myths and it never happened and others said no, that that was the law that was in place. But on the drink driving limit for commercial drivers, the drink driving limit for all drivers is 50 milligrams. 
Now, there is a lower one of 20 milligrams for specific drivers. Now, it includes learners or newly qualified uh, drivers for a period of two years, you know, when they have their end plates up. But it's also for all professional drivers and professional drivers would be commercial drivers that Jim speaks about. It's anybody who drives a bus, a goods vehicle or a public service a vehicle, taxi drivers, they'd all be they're all professional drivers. So, yes, there is a lower drink driving limit there, uh, Jim, and it is 20 milligrams where it is 50 for every body else. Sam by text says Patricia. A friend was breathalyzed by Angarda Corner and he passed the breathalyzer test. A short time later he was stopped again. This time it was a Bangarda who breathalyzed him. Guess what? He failed. He then had to go down to the Garda station and he explained to the Bangarda, I just passed another breathalyzer test up the road and I passed. I don't know what's going on. And she said, Well you failed this one. You have to go to the you have to go to the Garda station and have it redone again. So he went to the Garda station uh, um, and the test was done and guess what he passed by the way says Sam he doesn't drink God how did he fail the breathalyzer test at all I have heard of that happening before where somebody will pass the fail the roadside test and then you take into the car at the station and then you then have the option to either have a blood test taken or you give a urine sample and then obviously it's it's tested again and that's a much more accurate test than the breathalyzer test. I don't know what the percentage of people who fail the roadside one and then don't fail when they get into the car at the station. I don't know what the figures on that uh, are. But it does seem bizarre, Sam, that your friend could fail a breathalyzer test when the person doesn't even drink. Was that to do with something the person ate? Or, you know, you know there's al- there can be very low levels of alcohol in some medication, for example. Cough bottles and things, isn't it? There can be a small amount of alcohol. Could that be a reason? But you wouldn't taking bottles of it wouldn't you to actually fail it and did they fail because there was something wrong with the breathalyzer itself Uh, I wonder it seems rather bizarre and also can I say what utter madness that somebody would be stopped in two very short periods of time to get stopped and breathalyzed okay random breath testing goes on we all agree with that but then to drive down the road and be stopped again in you know in a very short period of time has that ever happened to somebody that they get breathalyzed twice in a short period of time that seems like a waste of guard the time doesn't it that you would have two checkpoints out very close to each other you assume that whoever is deciding where the breath tests are going to where the breathalyzer test is going to happen you would assume that they would make sure there wouldn't be somebody else testing just down the road or maybe they got stopped just down the road for something else and the, and the guard that she called and decided to breathalyze them as well I'm not I'm not too sure also um, this is by text on drink driving if there is enough alcohol in your system then you would fail the breath test your reactions etc are going still going to be impaired this is to do with being breathalyzed the next day it doesn't make any odds if it's the morning after if you're over the limit fact is you're over the limit I think it's craziness for people to think that if you've had a bit of a sleep that the feed of drink for the night before just doesn't count alcohol is in your system alcohol in your system will impair no matter when or how it got into your system. So basically the message from this text, if you're over the limit, you're over the limit and it shouldn't matter if it's 11 o'clock at night, 9 in the morning or 12 noon. If you're over the limit, you're over the limit. Mag says, it's a bit late for the TDs to be complaining about the drink driving laws. Why didn't they stop Shane Ross when he was trying to introduce them? Shane Ross is the one who could be 
classed as being in the lunatic fringe, says Mags. Well, dare I mention Philly busting that went on when Shane Ross tried to get his legislation through. There was huge delays and delays was down to in the main rural TDs who were against the laws being introduced and they did everything in their power. I mean, the Healy Rays literally spoke for hours in the Dáil, anything to stop the piece of legislation going through. So I suppose you're wrong to be critical particularly of the rural TDs, they tried everything to stop the passage of that bill and actually came into for huge criticism for trying to stop it because as somebody else has said by text, good luck to Shane Ross, at least he is trying to save lives. That is the other side of the coin. Thank you for that. 1850-333-103. Some other of your texts coming in. Margaret says, welcome back, Patricia. Thank you. Uh, this morning I got two phone calls from what looked like a 022 prefix. Both scam calls. Guess what? They're the ones pretending to be from air uh, telling me my internet is going to be disconnected because there's something wrong with it. My husband answered the phone on one of the occasions and told the person, now nah, that's fine, I'll repair it myself. You can re- imagine the reaction that they got from the other person on the line not good but Margaret said just to be aware of those phone calls they're they're not stopping they're certainly not going away anytime soon that is for sure some more of your texts in to us Uh, Martin in West Cork says Hi Patricia and John Paul If the HSE trained up more health professionals like Annalise Drussell who appears on your programme every morning she sounds very clinical in her job then there would be a lot less lot less need for doctors and nurses thanking you. That's from Martin in West Cork who's a big, big fan of uh, Annalise who will be joining us in the final hour of the programme. Michael says, Patricia, well done to those young lads from the Gwail Skull in Clonakilty that you spoke about who stopped when they saw the hearse coming and in respect bowed their heads, blessed themselves and waited for the funeral cortege to pass. They are a credit to their parents, to any town, to any county, indeed to any country. They are an example for the youth of today's world. The youth of today should always keep in mind the Mayo football team. And that's from Michael in Castletown Bear. And I'm missing something there. The Mayo football team. I don't quite know uh, what you're talking about there. If you want to remind me, uh, Michael, please. 1850-333-103. And by the way, Hidden Voices, this is on children who were raised in households with alcohol abuse. We're unfortunately not going to be able to get to it today, but I think it's been rescheduled and we will get to it tomorrow. It's been rescheduled for tomorrow because I've, I've had an e- a, a, t- a WhatsApp in from somebody who obviously wants to remain uh, anonymous to say, uh, Patricia, my children live in a home with a parent in recovery from what is very common but never spoken about, dual addiction, dual addiction of uh, gambling and alcohol. While sheltered as much as possible, I've no doubt that they did experience arguments and hardships that they never should have had to. My issue is now my son has presented with severe anxiety and is on, wait for this, a two year waiting list to access the local child psychology service. I live in fear of what his teenage years will bring due to poor mental health and the possible genetic pretendency towards addiction. There is no support for children whose whose parents have suffered from addiction. Uh, Anonymous, uh, please. Goodness me. And that very much ties in with the doctor with Declan from Yall, the doctor uh, who joined us in the last hour, Dr Declan Matthews, who was talking about the delays in ophthalmology, but that then led into, he was saying they don't have a service for for CAMS, for children and adults 
mental health services in the East Cork area. Now, I, this listener who's WhatsApping us, I don't know what part of the county, this listener is from. If it's East Cork, the part the child probably isn't even on a waiting list or probably isn't from East Cork, but even if it's not, it's some other part of the county where there's a two-year waiting list to access CAMS, which just makes absolutely no sense to me when a child who is battling any kind of a mental health uh, issue and anxiety becoming all the more common in young people. As soon as that child presents and is looking for help, then I'm sorry, but of all of the different forms of health that's out there, I think mental health, if you don't have good mental health, you have absolutely nothing. It affects every other stage and part of that child's uh, life and I I find it probably the most worrying of all of the delays with you know getting waiting lists to go to see consultants to go to see appointments to get to access whatever kind of treatment or operation you need but I I think it's just unacceptable that we have delays for child, adult, for ch- for for children's and adult mental health services there should be absolutely zero delays when somebody needs the help, the help should be there. And I know somebody say, oh, if there's a crisis, the help will be there. But we're not talking about crisis. Why should we force our children to get into a situation that they're in crisis, that they will end up then having to be admitted in, into hospital because the crisis has gone so bad? Or worse, life is taken because the child got into crisis and there was nowhere there or they, it wasn't seen that the child was was in crisis even though the parents have probably been screaming for help for quite some time it just it galls me I can't I just I, it's, it's one of the things I can't understand in our health system we have to give more much more priority to mental health and in particular the mental health of our young people my heart goes out to to that listener and we will as I say we will get to speak with that group uh, Hidden Voices and I don't know if you can reach out to them Alcohol Action Ireland with that initiative can they be of any help to you can they point you in the direction can they help you in any way 18 50 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. An experienced block layer is wanted that's in the new market area and that job comes with an immediate start. Sheehy Landscapers, they're based in Douglas. They're looking for a landscape operative for grass maintenance. You need to be over 25 and you need to have a full licence. And Skibbereen Credit Union, they're looking for a clerical officer to his experience in a similar role plus a professional qualification or equivalent that's QFA uh, is essential. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. The Economic and Social Research Institute says that mobile phone use among young people may cause significant educational costs, with those who own a phone at nine years of age faring less well in academic development as they get older. Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell has been campaigning for some time around the use of smartphones in schools by students and he joins me. Good morning to you, Gerard. Good morning, Patricia, and uh, good morning to your listeners. And you're welcome to the programme once again. Now, does this report by the ERSI worry you? It found that children who owned a mobile phone at nine scored 4% less on average in reading and in maths by the age of 13. Yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all. When we drafted the bill uh, that we brought before the Shannon, um, uh, late last year, 
uh, we were aware of the statistics and um, it is frightening. Uh, but quite apart from the academic performance of children, which is something that deeply concerns me as a former teacher, um, I am more concerned about the uh, psychological impact these devices are having uh, both within the school and uh, outside the school. Um, in my time as the president of the Teachers' Union of Ireland, my first week as president of the Teachers' Union, we had two girls between 12 and 13 who committed suicide. Oh, uh, both sisters, uh, twin sisters. And um, it, it was established, uh, albeit uh, uh, through sort of word of mouth more so than anything else, that it had all to do with cyber behaviour. Cyber bullying. Yep. So, I'm, I, listen, I mean, I introduced electronic learning in my uh, teaching, albeit it was in further education, as far back as 1995. So I am not against digitalized learning. What I am against is the uh, unfettered use of mobile phones by children. And I'm sure, Patricia, you've sat in restaurants like I have and seen, I, I sat two weeks ago in a restaurant in South Dublin. There were two adults and two children at the table next to me, and all four of them were on electronic devices. Mm. And my wife actually said to me, do you think they're communicating with each other? And I'll send a text, a text message across the table. What, yeah. what really got to me about the ER, the ESRI report uh, was, you know, the fact they were talking about nine-year-olds owning a mobile phone. And your, your instant reaction is, what nine-year-old would own a mobile phone? But they do. Oh, oh my God, they do. And they own them younger than nine. It is frightening to walk around the streets of Dublin, for example, and to see the age of children with smartphones that are costing uh, up to a couple of hundred euros. And I, I, all I've got to say here is parents need to wake up and smell the coffee and realise that they're putting into the hands of their child a lethal device that will not only impact their academic performance, but will expose them to the most horrendous uh, abuse. Everything from unfettered access to whatever you feel like looking at on the internet, right through to uh, children attacking each other. And I'll give you an example, Patricia. I spoke to the principal of the school where those two girls uh, died. And he said to me, do you know, Jerry, said the problem, he said, I have is when children enter the school in September, I seem to be responsible for them 24 hours a day, seven days a week until uh, the July break. Uh, And he said parents will make sure their children go to bed having brushed their teeth and said their prayers and whatever uh, routine families have. But the one thing they won't do is take their mobile phone off them. And I know in the the Daily Mail today, they are talking about, and I think this is another study from the ERSI, and they've seen it, Who's going? and the ESRI are going to suggest a ban on smartphones in primary schools as a way to stop peer pressure. I mean, is banning, is that the way to go? Complete ban? Um, I'm I'm always against a complete ban on anything. Um, I I believe they have a use, and I believe that that use there is an education educational use for mobile technology in the classroom. But my my belief is that they should not be switched on in any classroom or in any school at any time in the day, uh, unless there is an educational purpose. And I've heard parents argue, "Oh well, my daughter or my son has." issue and they need to be able to contact me. Patricia, what did we do? I know. 
I, I always I always feel the same way when, when that argument is put forward I need to contact and thinking oh, what happened with us we didn't have mobile phones and it's, it's, it's you know you don't need access to your child that much that they need to have a mobile phone in their hand Absolutely not and by the way if they're getting up to something that would rather they weren't getting up to they'll tell you when they come home that the battery was dead Yeah, <laughs> and that's why they weren't you weren't able to contact them so I, I mean they really are Patricia I mean they're the most wonderful device but if you think about I'm sitting here speaking to you and I have two mobile phones mm. and, and, and it's lunacy. And, and my wife and my children tell me it's lunacy. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, we are supplying children with uh, digital devices far too early. I have two beautiful grandchildren and their parents are absolutely against anything digital, including allowing them to sit and watch cartoons on the TV. With the result those children have the most amazing imagination. I just adore my time with the four-year-olds particularly, who can tell you the most wonderful stories and it's all made up. And, and, and that's because their head isn't stuck in a, in a digital device. That's, that, that's it. And you know, I know that there are mothers and fathers listening to your programme today and I know that you have a wide listenership down there. Ask them to look over the border there into Kerry. There was a school band mobile phones there. Has anybody died as a result of it? No, we, we spoke with the principal of that school actually and you know and the key to the success there was he called the parents in and it, obviously it had to have all the parents on board but the parents were thrilled. They were thrilled that somebody finally took the initiative and took it away from them to make yeah, this decision. And one, of, one of the sad things Patricia was one of the groups that uh, were quite uh, adamant that I was going the wrong direction was my former colleagues in the teaching fraternity who were saying, you know, we, we cannot police um, mobile phones. And the truth of the matter is, whether they like it or not, they are being forced to police mm. the use of mobile technology because when something goes wrong, uh, the parents will naturally turn to the school and say, what, what did you do about this? I mean, bullying is going on for as long as you and I, uh, God knows, Adam was a boy. But if you think of the way kids can bully today, I'm told the worst way to treat a young girl today now is to uh, not respond to a post she would put up on yeah. the internet. Yeah, and don't yeah, and don't like it so that she doesn't get yeah. any likes and she's ridiculed because she didn't get enough likes. It's just, it's shocking. It's, it's shocking. And, and France have already introduced a bill, haven't they, banning smartphone use for under the age of uh, 15. They have indeed, and I mean, I'm hoping we, we, we've got through uh, stage two of the bill. Uh, people probably don't realise how difficult it is to get legislation moved. Uh, there are four stages, really. There is the introduction stage, stage two. Uh, then you've got the committee stage where amendments are brought in. Then you have the report stage where final amendments are brought in. And then you have the passing of the bill. It then goes to the president for signing. But even at that stage, it's still not law. It is not law until such a time as the minister in charge uh, uh, enacts the law once the president has signed it. So it's a long, arduous process. And remember, it's got to go through those stages in both houses of the Oireachtas. So it's a long, long process. But being honest about it, looking at my colleagues in Leinster House, there is no great desire to get involved in banning um, uh, mobile phone technology for children. And I think that's a sad reflection on, on us as a nation. And why do you think that is the case? 
I'm being totally honest about it. I think we are. We have become very subservient to the multinationals that drive uh, mobile technology. And look, I know down down in your own neck of the woods, uh, Apple are a tremendous employer. employer yeah. Uh, Google, a wonderful employer up here. Uh, Facebook, all of these, they're all great employers. But I will guarantee you, in the morning, if we brought in legislation that would limit. Uh, children's access to mobile phones, or we brought in legislation that would make it not possible, for example, to use a mobile phone without a certain trigger being put in place, uh, I guarantee you that the mobile phone companies and the software houses would very quickly develop something that would meet our needs. They must also take responsibility for what's been said and done on the internet. I mean, as a public representative, I get some of the most horrendous things said to me. Uh, uh, I've got a bit of a thick neck, I suppose. Uh, but I'm not a nine-year-old child. Yeah, um, yeah. And and you know yourself, Patricia, um, from your own programme, we've been we've spoken a lot of times over the last couple of years, you know yourself how vulnerable a nine-year-old kid is, right up to 16 or 18. Yeah, yeah. We're vulnerable indeed. I'm 65, and can I tell you, sometimes they hurt me when they say the things they say. Well, and, so, and we were only earlier this morning speaking with a local GP who is highlighting the fact of the lack of cancer services uh, in the East Cork area and it led to a discussion about young people, the amount of young people presenting with anxiety and mental health issues and, and I was asking him why, you know, and, and, and one of one of the reasons uh, is because of what's, what's happening through social media and what's happening on smartphones and what's happening on the internet. And we as parents then will sit back and listen, you know, I'm not criticising any parent, I raised two children myself and I can guarantee you you better throw the textbook away if it was my textbook you were going to use I'm glad both of my children have worked out pretty well but I'm sure I made mistakes we all did but this issue is glaring at us in the face every day of our lives we we even see it on a TV advertisement at night now where they talk about switching off Kira's uh, access to the internet yeah 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 you know so I mean people are aware of it I think we've got to actually fess up and take responsibility. And I'm aware of the fact, Patricia, that a young girl uh, down in the south of the country committed suicide because her mother wouldn't buy her a a smartphone. So, you know, there's that side of the argument too. But I I really, my heart goes out to the children. The parents, get over yourself. You know, for God's sake, get over yourself. Just think of your little child. Look into the eyes of any six, seven, eight, nine-year-old child and look at the wonder and the excitement that there is in their lives. Why do we want to take that away from them and make them adults before their time? Okay, and someone agreeing with you with your grandchild, uh, Texter says, my little nearly three-year-old granddaughter also no not, no access at all to, tele- to te- television. She's a great time playing and she knows all her nur- nursery rhymes and she's great company to be with because she doesn't have access to the TV. Isn't that great? All right, okay, listen, we'll talk again, uh, Gerard. In the meantime, thank you for that. Thank you very much, Patricia. And today is a great day, remember, for Ireland. It's 100 years since our first soil. That's right, that's right. Heading into Leinster House now to uh, 
participate in that for the day. Okay, but well, enjoy. Great to talk to you. And, and good to talk to you as well. Thanks a million. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Independent Senator uh, Jared Crockwell. 1850 Jump all takes your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Yes, the breakfast show giving you more music than anybody else in the morning time while you're having your first cup of the day and munching down those cornflakes is back tomorrow. 6 to 10 is when I'm on the air. Cork's greatest hits, the latest traffic details, all the big stories of the morning and €1,280 for you to win. Sound good? Join me in the morning back on the air from 6. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, after the first full week of this year's Operation Transformation, all five leaders lost weight, with our own leader, Pamela Swain from Yall, achieving just over double the targets that had been set set for her uh, by the panel of experts with a seven pound weight loss. Uh, Pamela Swain joins me once again. Good morning to you, Pamela. How are you, Patricia? Uh, I'm well, I'm very well. And, and I know you're on your way back from Dublin and you've pulled in on the side of the road I and we am, really appreciate that. My husband answered the phone and he was like, yes, for you. So oh, yeah, well, well, you're very good. And of course, you would have been in Dublin yesterday to record what we will see on Wednesday, but you're sworn to That's secrecy. Right. On- we were up for Ray Darcy as well Thursday night, uh, Saturday night. So it was a, bi- a, bi- a busy weekend. Now, busy weekend, yeah. We'll, let's go back to what we saw on TV last uh, Wednesday night. Seven pounds, go you. You must, yeah. have, been, you must have been thrilled. <laughs> oh, I was delighted, yeah. Absolutely delighted that I smashed it, yeah. Um, the first week, I think, is always the biggest weight loss as well, like, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I was delighted with it. I swear, the whole family were delighted with it. It was a great achievement for my first week and... Do yes, you that's do that's you sneakily weigh yourself at home so that you know before you get in the scales what you've lost? Well, or do they yeah, tell you not they, to do that? They tell you not to do it, but the first week I was weighing myself up until the Thursday. Okay. And um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was down four pounds, we'll say, as far as I was concerned. So I was happy enough with that because they wanted three. Yeah. So I didn't weigh myself again then after that, like, you know. Yeah, because you can drive yourself nuts jumping up and down the well, scales. yeah, Sean took the scales off me last week. <laughs> He's like, were you, were you total not to go on that? So I, I didn't weigh myself all last week, like up until um, no, up until yesterday, like the way. Yeah, well done, Sean. Tell Sean hide it. it just yeah, just tells <laughs> you. Well done, you. Now I have to say, when I watched the program last Wednesday, I I was annoyed. I was very annoyed with the experts. I was nearly shouting at the TV screen. Um, and I know you've come out publicly, you know, and fair dues. You're you're no shrinking violet. You're not going to sit back and take it. They were a bit unfair to you. Well, I think like. Right, it was a bit of tough love as well, you know. Yeah. And like, I have to think back about like last Sunday. I came, I came away from Dublin, and I wasn't as upset as I was Wednesday night. So it's actually the viewing that I saw Wednesday night is what I didn't like. And um, like, I would have been smoking when I was pregnant on the last pregnancy. Fair enough, yeah. And you were but honest the, to admit that. Yeah, but I, I was, and you know what? Sometimes when you wear your hat on your sleeve, you have to be ready for the backlash. Yeah. And um, maybe I just wasn't too too prepared either for what I was going to see on telly but um, I can definitely promise you that's the last time you're going to see something like that about me on telly well done. because um, I'm off the cigarettes like I'm off the vape and 
onwards and upwards. Now and I have to say, as as a former smoker and anyone else listening that has ever given up cigarettes, it is probably the most difficult thing you will ever do. So I think you've got a double whammy. I mean, you're that's doing the they, weight loss. That's the, what they actually said. Yeah, I have yeah. a double whammy, like you know. But I have a double whammy, and I'm I'm flying it, like you know. I think it's all about your headspace as well. If you're in the right frame of mind, I think you really, really, really want to have to do something especially the cigarettes. If you really, really want to give them up, you will, because I think it's more psychological. Um, but I did go to Crit.ie last week and I got on fantastic there. Like, Great. You know, so I, I would recommend anybody who is thinking about giving up cigarettes or whatever to give them a buzz and go up there and see what the crack is because the lady who's actually speaking to you is a former smoker as well, so it's not as if she's preaching, you know, she doesn't know, yeah. doesn't know exactly how you're feeling or whatever, like, you know. And it's a free service, so I would definitely, definitely recommend people. Quest.ie. Quest. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the food part of it, I mean, looking at the, at the TV, I mean, it does look like the meals are very appetising and the food looks really good. They are, they are delicious. It is, I mean, the food is gorgeous. Um, the only problem I had with the food now is, um, like they say, the recipes are for two adults, but it's actually two adults who are overweight, we'll say. Okay. So looking to lose weight. Yeah. Um, which my husband is definitely not overweight. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I was finding that a bit difficult now last week or whatever. So um, Aoife's going to come on board and help me with portion sizes and stuff now, especially for the kids and stuff as well. Because I know what I'm supposed to have. But as in cooking-wise, like... For them, I just need a bit of help there. So, so you're are you cooking separate for you then? No, uh, no. I'm not. I'm I'm cooking the same thing. Yeah. But I'm finding it kind of a bit difficult to trying to judge how much extra chicken I need to put on, or I know. cod maybe, or hake, or whatever it is, um, because the the recipes are for two overweight adults. I know that yeah, that you know, that is difficult. Not, not one overweight adult, a husband, um, an adult daughter, and three children. You know, so. That's where she's going to come into play now and help me out with that this week. And that's one of the... I remember that with Wayne, with Wayne O'Donnell last year. That's one of the important things. It's weighing... I mean, Wayne, Wayne got a bit obsessed with weighing things. Pardon, that sounds Wayne yeah, and Wayne. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 ha, you have to weigh stuff, which you don't normally do when you're cooking for your family. See, definitely not. Definitely not. And I, I wouldn't um, be going to a recipe either. I would always be just cooking off the top of my head like, John, what? How I know to cook, like I said, the last 18 years. So, but I'm actually finding the the weighing of the food and stuff like that, measurements and going by recipes, harder than I would give up the cigarettes, if I'm honest. Yeah. You know, it's just getting into routine with that and making sure I have everything in that's in the recipe because I'd normally just use whatever's in the cupboard. Uh, but, but just back on the cigarettes for a second, you weren't a very heavy smoker, were you? No, I would have been three a day and yeah. I would have smoked about 20 when I was drinking alcoholic, you know. Same as everyone, yeah, yeah. But those, yeah. those three a day are always, are always the hardest them. ones. I just love every one of them, but now I think they're disgusting. Do you? Yeah, I really do, yeah. I mean, the smell of them is just bleh, disgusting. And the, the, the children thrilled, I'd say, that mammy's off them, are they? But they don't even realise because, like, I wouldn't have been... I wouldn't have been a heavy smoker, obviously. Yeah. But, like, I wouldn't have been smoking in their face either kind of a thing. Yeah. So you they, know? Yeah, so they, like, they, and the fact it's only three, day. they didn't, they, yeah. they barely even noticed. Uh, somebody wants to know, could you ask Pamela, what foods is she missing most from her previous eating habits? Oh, my goodness. Chocolate. <laughs> chocolate. Now, last week, you chocolate. Were, last week when we spoke to you, you t- spoke about sniffing the chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still sniff chocolate. Don't worry, I still sniff it. But that's yeah. what I'm missing the most. I'm definitely missing chocolate the most. And potatoes, oh, oh yum, and Coke Zero. Yeah, that's that would be my thing I'm missing the most because I'm actually really enjoying all the rest of the food, like breakfast, 
had poached eggs in the side of the toast this morning now. Cup of tea, pint of water, I'm full coming down the road. Okay. I said, Miss Sean, I'm just going to sat there now in the garage and I'm going to get in the chicken wrap. Um, yeah, the dinner tonight, I'm looking forward to. Yeah, the food is lovely. The yeah. food is lovely. Like, you know, um, I had an apple as well, obviously, before I left Dublin, whatever, because um, I have no buns with me, but I love the banana oat um, buns. They're gorgeous. I'm going to make them this evening. Um, brown bread the porridge bread is gorgeous having that every morning for my breakfast will say when it's a quick one um, yeah I'm actually loving the food I really am loving the food and that's one of the keys to it isn't it that you don't feel hungry at any stage but that's that's actually that's I, I think that's actually gold like the, the whole thing is that you're not hungry that you're eating healthily and you're doing your exercise job. so I'm actually after mastering all of that now I think this week first week was a bit tough second week getting a bit better and like I'm waking up this morning now and I have it in my head yeah I'm actually going to smash this week as well do you know and the exercise so. side of it you're enjoying I'm, that I'm I'm absolutely loving it my sister Teresa is just brilliant she's out uh, running with me every second day there during the week Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays and she, like she's doing the times for me on the watch you know keeping me going and making sure like that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and um that's making that side of it really easy. I did look at my exercise for today and it is way harder than last week, so I'm not looking forward to going home doing that. <laughs> if I'm honest, I'm not looking forward to going home doing that. I'd say I'm going to be dead by this evening. I know, but you just but, have um, to get stuck in, isn't no, it? I, mean, I just have to get stuck into it, yeah. And like, it is only like, 22 minutes long or 24 minutes long or something like that. So like, it's a half an hour out of my whole day. So I, I'm, I'm sure I can do it. Like, And are you still constantly getting recognised when you're out and about in your... Yeah, I'm not even in on in y'all. I just got recognised in Dublin and stuff there. Now. Yeah, Saturday night, yesterday, this morning, even when we were heading to the car, there was a woman stopped and she was like, "Oh my God, well done! I've seen you. Oh, I saw you on my Thursday night. Well done, you know, whatever." And um, Carl was actually there as well, and she was like, "Oh my God, I've seen you too." You know, there. It's mad. It's mad how people actually see you, and it's mad how it's after actually making other people outside of y'all and whatever like you know recognise me and see me and. I have people messaging me actually from like Cove, Tallow, everywhere. Um, oh, brilliant. I had like 500 messages on Thursday morning after the airing Wednesday <laughs> night on Facebook. Um, it's, it's amazing. I could, I actually, I can't reply to everybody up. I know, I know. But um, like there's people telling me they were giving up cigarettes that day and other people saying, you know, fair play to you, I'm following you and in the same situation as I am and whatever and it, it's just mad. It's just mad. People telling me what they're down a week and whatever and it, oh my God, it's amazing. It's because when, I mean when you went into this it was obviously to lose weight and then you become yeah. leader but but I take it at the start you don't think about the people that you are inspiring and that you are I, helping I to lose weight I'd help one person I was like if I could actually just help one more person like you know that would be fantastic Joe. if somebody could actually jump on board that, that is struggling and see you know if she can do it I can do it kind of a thing and um, oh my god that's just <laughs> that's blown out of the water as well there's yeah. there's, there's there's definitely a hundred I'm after helping anyway so I'm, I'm delighted with that and with the cigarettes as well and like I'm delighted that there's people after getting something out of last Wednesday night cigarette with the kids in the, in the house kind of thing as well and that they're willing to give them up to well done. You know, like a positive is after coming out of yeah. it, like, you know. Well, yeah, well done, well done. You you really are uh, inspirational. We'll let you get back on the journey home. Pleasure as always. Thanks we'll, a million. And we'll catch up with you again next week. And we're all rooting for you. Take Thank care. You so much. God Thank bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. Pamela Swain uh, there, and uh, thanks to to the hubby, her hubby Sean, who pulled in uh, for us to make the journey back from uh, Dublin. Operation Transformation Leader from uh, Yall. Uh, we you can catch how she got on this week on TV. 
ITV on Wednesday night. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Hi to Mary, who sent in a WhatsApp saying, welcome back, thank you for that. Uh, could you please mention what topic is Annalise Drissel doing on a nutritional slot this week? And is it the first Monday of every month that she'll be doing her question and answer session as I have a health question? Yes, we're going to continue with that format for this year. First Monday of the month, uh, Annalise will do a question and answer session where we literally hand the nutritional slot over to you, the listeners, and then every other week she'll pick a topic. And we try at the end, if we can, every week, if questions are building up, we try and sneak in some questions if we can as well. But the actual full question and answer session will always will continue to be the first Monday of the month. But today, because it isn't the first Monday of the month, uh, today Annalise is going to be talking about stress and adrenal fatigue. That's the main topic up for discussion today. Stress and adrenal fatigue. Thank you, uh, Mary, by the way, for your WhatsApp. Talking of thank yous on WhatsApps. Always love when people contact us and when they want to publicly thank somebody for doing something. Somebody went above and beyond the call of duty, whatever it is. Kind of a good news story. It's always good to share those good news stories. And we have one of them today. And my thanks to Noreen, who sent in this message to us earlier, saying, uh, Hi, Patricia and John Paul. I hope you have time to read this out, please. Two weeks ago, I texted the programme to say, if you knew of anyone who hired out wheelchair vehicles, straight away, in fairness, you had a number for Wheelchair Cars Ireland for me. My mother is in a nursing home and they are fantastic in caring for her. But she's always asking to go for a trip out. So I rang this company, Wheelchair Chairs Ireland, who, by the way, are based in Butterfant and in Athlone. And I spoke to two gentlemen, Patrick and Sean Patricia. They were so considerate, so professional and so helpful. I ended up hiring a vehicle for last Saturday and I was able to bring Mammy home to our house for a few hours. The vehicle was top spec and Patrick showed us thoroughly how to strap the wheelchair in safely. Mammy was so comfortable that she nodded off. (laughs) She nodded off to sleep. She was happy out. So thank you to C103 and Wheelchair Cars Ireland for all your help. And that comes in from Noreen Corcoran. And thank you, Noreen, for taking the time in your busy day to put that message uh, together. That really is. So make a note of that. Wheelchair Cars Ireland. And good to know that they have a base here in the south, one in Butterfant, just down the road from us, and in Athlone. If you were in need of hiring a, a, a vehicle that's suitable to carry a wheelchair, and what, what, how wonderful for your mother, Noreen, that you were able to get it. Good to know that she's, you know, she's happy and she's been well looked after in the nursing home. But we'd all like to go on, on a day trip, don't we? A road trip. We'd all like to go away somewhere for the day. And like that, going to visit your home. I'm sure she had a wonderful day uh, as well. So well done to Wheelchair. Wheelchair Cars Ireland, I think, is the name of the uh, company. Um, and well done to everybody there within that company for helping out at Noreen so well. And also, I was delighted to see this. It's the Irish Independent at the weekend published the top 10 beaches for 2019 voted by the readers. And I always like the kind of the polls where people, where we, the ordinary people, the people who go out and use the services, vote for them rather than bringing experts in to decide like what's the best restaurant or uh, what's the best salon or in this case, what's the best uh, beach. And up there in third place, my own favourite beach. And if I'd been voting, this is who I would have voted for. Inchidani came in in third place. And it's actually in the top 10 beaches for 2019. It is the only beach in Cork, which is a bit disappointing. In 
first place is Curraclue. That's a beautiful beach, I have to say, in County Wexford. Inch in Kerry. Inch is a good beach as well. Third place then, Inch Adani, which I would have had a number one spot, but I'm happy enough to see it number three. Britishes Bay is at fourth. Uh, Keem Bay, County Mayor. Can't say I've ever visited that beach. Ballybunion, that's in Kerry. That's in sixth place. Enniscrone in County Sligo. Anybody been there? That comes in in seventh. Tremor in County Waterford is in eighth place. That wouldn't. It's a beach I know well and I don't know if I'd be putting it in the top ten. But anyway, um, everybody's views are different and it's made it into the eighth position. Portsmarnock in Dublin is in ninth and the tenth is a, a, is a beach from County Galway called Dogs Bay. And that's made it into uh, the top 10 beaches, according to the Irish Independent for 2019. But as I said, delighted to see Inchidani making it in there to the top three. Okay, some of your WhatsApps coming in to us and thank you for them. Oh, this is the one earlier. It was Michael in... um, Castletown Bear. Michael had contacted us and he was responding to the piece that I did about the young lads, eight to ten year old boys from the Gwaleskal in Clonakilty and how a woman who was at a funeral walking behind the hearse and the coffin spotted this group of young boys who were heading home from their day at school and when they saw the funeral procession they stopped doing what they were doing, stood perfectly still, bowed their heads and blessed themselves as the hearse passed and uh, the lady who saw what they did wrote to the school and was just fulsome in her praise of what wonderful young boys and they, then they'll grow into wonderful young men won't they if they keep going the way they're going and uh, she wrote just to say that they were credit to both the school and to their parents and then the school secretary uh, Kionto Sula once sent on the letter and just said you might be you know you might want to give this a mention and we did and we were delighted to give it a mention and Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear uh, was saying you know was great wasn't it fantastic what those young lads uh, did and how they respected the funeral cortege and he said the youth of today should always keep in mind the Mayo football team and I was Oh, what is it about the Mayo football team, Michael? What are you talking about? Michael came back along with a host of other people to remind me, as if I could have forgotten, that there was a curse put on the Mayo team. It was the Mayo team who won the All-Ireland in 1959 and they drove through a funeral on the homecoming celebrations and the widow woman put a curse on the team and on Mayo County that they would, and they've never won another All-Ireland. Uh, and she said they'd never win an all, another All-Ireland until every member of the team was dead. And there's two remaining players still alive. Uh, one of them, I'm told, according to Jim, is a retired doctor living in New York. So they might have to wait until he passes away. But they literally, since that curse was put in place, they have not won an All-Ireland and it will, and we'll wait and see. Maybe they'll win this year, I don't know. But there's two of the original teams still uh, alive. Well, that certainly isn't going to happen in Clannacilty with the wonderful respect shown by those young uh, lads. Michael also says, hi Patricia, this is on a different WhatsApp. It's, uh, this is what's, what's going on across the water with Brexit. It is ironic that at this moment in time, Britain, does not have a Prime Minister in the House of Commons as Theresa May's role has been reduced to a facilitator purely as a result of the intellectual laziness of the Brexit Tories that is so depressing. The vivid tragedy of Brexit. The triumph of fear and anger over hope and reason. The triumph of a bleak and outdated political ideology that has festered in the darkest corners of the Tory party for decades and has now escaped to rot the heart of Britain. Pretty damn sad. 
thanking you, says uh, Michael. And one thing that I was pretty damn sad about over the weekend was the news on Saturday night of the car bomb going off in Derry. I just, it stopped me dead in my tracks when I heard it. I just thought, oh, please don't let us go back to these dark, dark uh, times. And I had been up in Northern Ireland last summer. I'd spent a week in July up um, just outside of Derry and I'd been in Derry a lot. What a beautiful city it is with the most beautiful, friendly people that you could meet. And And they're doing so well because of peace. They're just, you could sense it in the town. I mean, you know, as... The town I love so well, as um, Phil Coulter so put it. But you you could sense there was that wonderful ease about the city. And we were over in Belfast and you felt the very same thing as well. And then to see this happen on Saturday and I have family members living in Derry and one of them over the weekend, who would be a very mild-mannered woman, was just so cross about what had happened was just you know she was saddened but she was cross I don't think I've seen her so angry uh, in quite some time now senior anti-terrorist officers in the Gardaí and in the PSNI believe that this could be the start of a new surge of violence from dissidents uh, this year and some are saying that they're they're just seeking to capitalise on Brexit and on a a hard border and that they're just using it as the excuse. I mean, you know, others over the weekend listening to commentary on it would say, well, you know, there hasn't been storming for the last two years. Do, do the Northern Ireland politicians now need to knock their heads together? Nobody wants to go back to the dark days of the uh, troubles. And, and today, again, there is pictures of that bomb that went off. Now, they were lucky. They were very, very lucky that nobody was uh, injured. But it's there's... It struck me as well that there's a generation of young people growing, growing up who have grown up in peace, who've never known the troubles in the North. Those of us will remember where that was almost a weekly occurrence where you heard, you know, car bombs going off and you almost, particularly if nobody was injured, you didn't bat an eyelid uh, about it. But it was just suddenly, because there's been peace, thankfully for so long, to hear about it on Saturday literally just stopped me in, in my tracks it was it was shocking it was uh, shocking 1850 333103 some of your texts coming into the programme we were talking about young people and young people using mobile phones and do we need a ban on mobile phones and one of the arguments that's often put forward by parents when schools try to clamp down on mobile phones a parent will say to the, to, the, to the teacher, to the school. Oh, well, you know, Johnny or Mary has to have the mobile phone because, you know, what if they need to call me or what if I need to call them? And Senator Jared Crockwell says he's really getting tired of hearing that argument and he's making the point when we all went to school, we didn't have mobile phones. And what happened if your parents needed to contact you? Well, they didn't really, did they? If there was something very urgent, the school would be contacted and the pupil would be, would be told. But parents didn't need to contact you between nine and three or nine and four, if they had a message for you, you waited. They waited. You waited until you. In my day, we went home at lunchtime, or you went home after school, and then you were told whatever it was. So I don't know what this urgency and why parents feel they have to be in contact with their child when their child uh, is in school. Somebody makes a point though on that argument and says we took the corporal unjust punishment. That's what happened when we were in school. That's what happened when we went to school. And we need it at that moment in time 
to be able to ring our parents to come in and save us from that cruel, unjust punishment. The shoe is on the other foot now. Two extremes, but neither extreme uh, is good, which is yeah, a very different era. Could you imagine if we had access to mobile phones when corporal punishment was going on? How many people would have phoned home and would mummy and daddy have come in and stopped the corporal punishment? How, how, what a great world. Uh, children who put up with awful, some awful cases of abuse in schools to have had mammy or daddy come to the rescue because they had a mobile phone in which to ring them. But you are right, we've gone to the other extreme and neither of the extremes uh, make it right, that is for sure. On breathalyzing and breath testing on the side of the road and all of that that came up earlier on on the programme. Dee says, it's a total disgrace that Gardaí give you the plastic tube. This is the plastic tube that you must blow into during the breathalyzer test to dispose of ourselves. They should be made to dispose of them themselves, uh, says Dee. I, I know... I can put my hand up and say I've never been breathalyzed, so I, I I've seen it on TV and I know the little plastic piece that you're talking about goes into the breathalyzer and then you'll the guardy will say please blow into that. I didn't realize they hand it to the person who's been breathalyzed and say go dispose of that yourself. I didn't know that. Can they be recycled? Are they the type of plastic that can be recycled? Did, did anybody ever ask? I remember from Garda Shia what am I to do with it? Do I put it into recycling bin? I suppose in the Garda's defence, if they're out doing routine breath tests on the side of the road and I don't know how many they would do in a night that they they'd have too many of them in the car is that the reason I don't know do, do if, can anyone confirm that does every member from Garda Shikona hand you back the plastic bit and tell you that you must dispose of the plastic piece that you blew into the breathalyzer you must dispose of it yourself does that happen in all cases according to this texture it does and someone else says that the lovely people doing the random breath testing are they ever challenged to do a test themselves the public surely have the right to know if their accusers are as pure as they present themselves well would you be a very brave member of the public to say to the member from Garda Shikona who has stopped you and says would you please blow into that bag wouldn't you be a very brave member of the public to turn around and say I will if you blow into one first and prove to me that you are under the limit Stephen in County Kerry says look Patricia I've known people having a few pints and driving home in my rural area and they've been doing it for the last 40 odd years and I've yet to see an accident as a result on any of those back roads. I just find it strange considering that if it's supposed to be so dangerous and we're often told it is and some of your previous texters have said it is so so uh, dangerous why are we not hearing about a lot why were we not hearing about a lot more accidents particularly during the period of time where people did drive home because there wasn't such a clampdown on drink driving and there was also a higher it wasn't it 80 milligrams at one stage was the higher drink driving limit why were we not hearing about so many accidents when people were taking the chance and driving home with a few pints in them and they were over the drink drive uh, limit. And by the way, Steve Stephen says, like a previous texter, I am also a non-drinker. Uh, and Mike, thank you, Stephen, for that. Michael in North Cork says a story about his friend. His friend was out the night before and had had a few pints. So the next morning he brushed his teeth and he also used a mouthwash. He had a home breathalyzer, which he then used, and he was way over the limit. He had his breakfast and he breathalyzed himself again. And lo and behold, it was perfect. Could the mouthwash have put him over the legal limit? Wonders Michael in North Cork. I don't know. I, I, is there alcohol in those mouthwashes? 
I, I don't know. Is that the advice? If, you're, if you've had a few drinks the night before and you're going to be driving the next day, don't use a mouthwash because that could put you over the limit. But I'm assuming that if the mouthwash puts you over the limit in the breathalyzer, when you would then get to Angarda Shia to either give a urine sample or a blood test, you wouldn't be over the limit. And that might explain, you know, we had a couple of calls in earlier from people who were saying that they got breathalyzed on the side of the road and when they went to the guard the station, they weren't over the limit. And, you know, some people say that that's a complete and utter waste of resources. So could that be the reason? I don't know. Could it be for mouthwashes? Anybody heard about, about the do's and don'ts about mouthwashes? And you need to be careful if you're driving after using a mouthwash. Not that you're going to be incapacitated to drive, but could it mean that you could fail a breath test uh, because of it. Okay, 1850-333-103. Let me just take a quick look back through some of the calls coming in to John Paul this morning. Um, Dancing with the Stars, Tom in Rathgormach. This was about poor Eilish O'Carroll getting kicked out last night. Tom says, I feel it's not about dancing anymore. It's all about how well the person is known publicly. It's not their dance performance. I always feel they need, I also feel they need to change up the judging panel with other people who agree. They need to bring new judges with different opinions. It's the same opinions every single year. Do they need new judges on Dancing with the Stars? I don't know about the overall winners though. You know, maybe... In the early days of these competitions, it does have a tendency to be how well you're liked out by members of the general public. But then I think as the competition goes on, the Queen always rises to the top. I mean, I mean Anna Geary was a really good dancer and she made it through to the final last year. And then Nathan Carter's brother, Jake, wasn't he the winner last year? And I don't think anyone would take from Jake Carter. He was a great dancer from the very outset last year. So I don't know if it's always the case of the person that wins with somebody. I think, yeah, I think people maybe get booted out earlier than they should have, that there was people who were maybe not as, who were worse dancers should have gone before them. But I think by the time we actually get to the end of the competition, the real winners always seem to surface to the top. Uh, and the good dancers and the talented ones. Nora in McCroom has been almost to thank everybody who turned out for the fundraiser they had for, to- for the Tony Coote. They have raised €2,250 so far. Isn't that fantastic? That was Father Tony Coote, who actually joined us. We spoke to him when he was travelling around the country. He got diagnosed with, is it motor neurons or a mess? It's motor neuron, isn't it? And they did that really great programme. Actually, the pro... Our programme here, Cork Today, featured on that television programme where they followed Father Tony Coote when he did that walk, now most of the walk he did it in a wheelchair, he was pushed pushed around by his brothers and other family members and other people joined them on the way and they went all over the country and of course when he was coming into Cork we put out the, we offered the hand of friendship to him and said, you know Father Tony, do you want to come on and have a quick chat with us? And we actually made it to the final edit of the programme, I'm sure he was on lots more radio stations but uh, we featured on that programme and he was just so inspiring, so inspiring. And actually I heard as I was driving over the weekend, I heard that there was a fundraiser going on in, in McCroom and I was thinking, well done to people because he's a great, great guy. So well done, Nora. That's a terrific sum of money, €2,250. So thank you to anyone who helped out in any way for, for the Tony Coote and that fundraiser that went on at the weekend. Uh, Billy Imbandon wants to raise the issue of the paramedics and what happened with the paramedics over the weekend. Disgraceful, says Billy. The two of those par- paramedics would be suspended. They were on... These two had just completed 12-hour shifts. They'd done three nights back-to-back of 12-hour shifts and they had two hours left to go on the last 
shift and then they were asked to go to Dublin I think it was a child needed to be transferred from Cork to Dublin no one in their right mind would have asked anybody to do this coming to the end of a 12 hour shift on the back of three 12 hour shifts now in the end they got an ambulance crew from a crew to take the child who needed to get to Dublin Uh, and that particular crew in McCroom ended up doing a 20 hour long shift after going to Dublin waiting and then coming back again so if the original crew had done it after their 10 hours there would have been another 20 hours that meant they would have done a 30 hour working day on the back of two 12 hour night shifts the guy that suspended them is the one that's wrong they were dead right not to take on that job I feel those paramedics are entitled to compensation and by the way if they do get compensation the money should come out of the guy's bank who made the decision it shouldn't come from the tax uh, payer and I know there was a lot of other paramedics as well backed those two guys who were suspended Uh, yeah and when, when you look at it when it's laid out like that I mean it was the fact that it was the end of three nights you know it was the last night and I imagine by the third night you really are even no matter what kind of sleep you're getting during the day you're really starting to feel exhausted and those last couple of hours of night shifts or night shift are always going to be the hardest and to expect them to pick up this child bring this child to Dublin and then whatever about making the journey to Dublin the thought then of having to drive back down again I mean just how is somebody how can somebody expect it to work and bring their A game and be at the peak of their performance when they're that exhausted. I mean, literally that exhausted. It does seem crazy. I think there's going to be more on this uh, story. Anyway, Billy and Bandon very annoyed about that story that broke over the weekend. Thank you for that. 1850 333103. Um, and yeah, okay, let's leave it there. Let's do this. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Bandon Flower and Garden Club, they're holding their AGM and a talk by occupational therapist Helen Sline. That's on tonight at 8 o'clock in the Munster Arms Hotel. Gagging Community Alert Meeting is on tonight, half past seven. Gagging Community Hall, all are welcome. And the Irish Blood Transfusion Board, they've got a donor clinic in the Sales Sports Centre, that's in Kinsale, and they're there between 5 p.m and 8.30 this evening. Cork County Council are holding a free festival and events workshop in the Oriel House in Ballancolic tomorrow at 5pm. Get advice on marketing, planning and management, policies and guidelines from industry experts. And Kinsale Men's Shed. They'll host a talk by Lighthouse Keeper Gerard Butler in their premises on Friday at 7.45. New and old members welcome to what has been described as an enlightening talk. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103. And when I was just talking about the ambulance uh, service and those uh, lads, those paramedics been asked to go to Dublin on the end of a the third night of their nights. They had two hours left of a 12 hour shift but it was their third 12 hour shift back to back um, caller in from the West Cork area says if there's a bus going to Dublin they have to have two drivers do they? as they're only allowed to drive for so many hours so are there different rules for ambulance drivers 
um, said a listener. Said a listener. Well, I think all both paramedics are able to drive, but I don't know if they swap over the driving. I don't exactly know what the rules and regulations are about that. But very obviously, they were the powers that be thought it was reasonable to ask somebody who was ten hours into a twelve-hour shift. They thought it was reasonable to ask them to go to Dublin, bring this child to Dublin, and then drive home again. So it would have put them certainly well past their twelve-hour shift. And God knows that is what more on to it. Met Aaron, by the way, have issued a status yellow snow ice warning for Ireland. Oh, icy and slippery conditions are expected with scattered sleet and snow showers, most frequent across Ulster and Connacht. Though we might get away with it down here. Some of the showers will spread into central and eastern areas at times with the odd flurry further south. Oh, sorry. <laughs> read on first accumulations of 1 to 2 centimetres are, are, are expected and the weather warning comes into effect for the entire country from 9pm tonight and remains until 7pm tomorrow evening so almost 24 hours so tomorrow really tonight into tomorrow bitterly bitterly cold day we spoke about that company where you can hire a car that's wheelchair accessible that Noreen asked us to speak about well a new company in Skibbereen has recently been set up called Atlantic Way Travel they have a wheelchair accessible limousine and last year they took people to various tourist spots including the islands so a great service for anybody looking to avail of fully wheelchair accessible and they'll travel anywhere according to this listener. So it's called Atlantic Way Travel if anybody's looking to hire wheelchair accessible transport a wheelchair accessible limousine I don't know how many of those are doing the rounds uh, well done and Jura Inahada says this day 100 year anniversary of the first sitting of Dáil Air and it was also sadly the start of the War of Independence with the first shooting in uh, Tipperary also on the same day 100 years ago all happening today 100 years ago we must always remember those who fought for what we have today in Ireland at least we ever forget and Kay and Ross Garby says with all the dealings going on with Brexit why are they bringing up the border leave it alone we should not go back to the past we do not want the troubles again so why are those deciding not understanding this there should be no talk at all about the border in Ireland why can't the UK politicians understand this and uh, thank you the school that we were talking about the band to the mobile phone very very successfully last year was Blennerville National School and we spoke with the principal indeed we did uh, thank you for that and John in Ballyclaw says Patricia as you were talking about breathalyzing and stricter drink driving laws most good motor cycling shops uh, will sell breathalysers I would recommend anyone to go out and buy a breathalyser especially professional drivers or people who need their licence to get to and from work or they need their licence for their livelihood even though you get up in the morning and feel you're perfect you may not be John's Ballyclaw recommendation go out and treat yourself or treat your loved one I wonder how many breathalysers were bought for Christmas I actually bought uh, um, a, my son for his birthday, he's got one of those December birthdays. He always gives out that it's he's mid-December. But I always feel for people who've got dis- birthdays in December. They never seem to do as well. They have your birthday in the middle of the year. So I always try to make a fuss, a fuss, of, a fuss of him, even though he's a grown man now with his own kids. But he'll always be my little boy. But that's what I did. I bought him a breathalyzer and he was thrilled. Absolutely thrilled because he said it was one of those things mom I meant to get and never got around to getting. So he was delighted with it. And he said this was a couple of times over Christmas the following day. He went to go out and he popped at the breathalyzer, took a look and went, oh no, I need to hang on a while. So he'd have a good, you know, have his breakfast, wait a little while and, you know, within an hour or two he was, he was okay. But it made him stop 
before he got into the car so it's, it is proving uh, successful John Paul taking your calls you can text to WhatsApp 0862 103 103 let's take a break and we're back chatting with Annalise Dressel Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 this is the Court Today replay on C103 and Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig joining us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. Uh, and you're welcome. Today we're talking about stress and adrenal fatigue. So I suppose start with what is adrenal fatigue? So adrenal fatigue is a term that was coined by a, a doctor called Dr. James Wilson. And basically it is noticed um, he says it's the 21st century syndrome because it's becoming more common now with the very stressful lives that we live. Your adrenals are two kind of little glands that just sit on top of your kidneys and they're responsible for producing cortisol, which is your stress hormone. And in modern life, when it's very, very stressful, effectively what you're doing is you're pushing the accelerator on your adrenals all of the time and they can become fatigued and this causes dysregulation, in some cases, people will suffer from total adrenal um, exhaustion. And I actually do have a couple of, of customers who have total adrenal exhaustion where the body just is no longer producing enough cortisol for the daily needs. Because they, the cortisol hormone actually does another few important jobs. Um, it works along with another hormone released from the adrenals to manage your blood pressure. It also helps to balance your blood sugar, especially when, you know, in between when you haven't been eating for a long time. Um, It's very important for your mood. So lowered cortisol would lead to depression, could increase anxiety. So when your adrenals become fatigued or exhausted, either you're not producing enough cortisol at all or else you're you're not producing enough at the right times. We want plenty of it in the morning to get us up and going after a long night's sleep. And we want it to be low in the evening so that we're very calm and able to get into a nice, good, deep sleep when we go to bed. So if it becomes dysregulated, you can get a tired but wired feeling, which means at night time you find it hard to sleep. You're exhausted, but you still feel wired. And and all of this is caused by stress. All of it is caused by stress because, I mean, the way that stress is supposed to operate is it's supposed to be a short-term fight-or-flight thing. But now we have so many modern stressors um, that, you know, we're pumping out that stress hormone all day long. It could be because you're sitting in traffic. It might be because you're in a job that you dislike. It might be because you're a busy mum trying to, you know, work a job and mind your children as well, which I always think, I don't know how women do both of it, you know, both things, have a career and children. Um, And I suppose just with, you know, people with ageing parents or people ageing and money worries, there's just so many different modern stresses now that we are all stressed quite a lot of the time. So how would you know? What are the signs and symptoms? So the main signs would be, well, the first thing I think is the tired but wired is a typical because you're exhausted but you can't sleep. Often you'll get a second wind at night time, maybe around 9 or 10 o'clock. So you've been whacked all day, dragging yourself around and then all of a sudden you get a buzz at that time. Um, Sleep trouble is another one. Low energy across the board. Um, Low mood or suffering from anxiety. A lot of people, your immune system might start struggling. Some people will notice weight gain and particularly around the belly, around the middle. 
Um, and then, like, I mean, long term, it increases your risk of heart disease, autoimmune disorders, type 2 diabetes. That's all the kind of the long term stuff that yeah. you would notice. Yeah, this, yeah it, it is serious. Uh, somebody says they got a rash on one hand. It was diagnosed as contact dermatitis, which the listener says can't, can't believe it was because I only had it on one hand. I didn't have it anywhere else. Somebody said to me then that that's stress related. Can you get rashes like that from stress? You could, I suppose, Patricia. Um, yes, I'd say it's unusual. Um, but definitely, like if you think about what happens when the body is stressed, you're pumping out this hormone that's meant to make you fight or flee. Your immune system for fighting bugs and viruses becomes suppressed because it's not important that you're fighting off a bacteria when you're trying to escape, you know, a tiger. Uh, so your immune system becomes suppressed. Your digestive system is suppressed. Um, and all of the non-essential functions in your body, your ability to reproduce, so hormone balance is, is definitely dysregulated. Because if it's not a short-term stress, if it's a long-term stress, these systems are all going to be suppressed all of the time. So if that's happening with your immune system, your immune system can become pro-inflammatory. So you might notice that you're getting hives more often or rashes. But to be honest, it's a less likely symptom of adrenal fatigue. Okay. It's an unusual one, but it's not to say that it's not the case. That's not, re- yeah, not, not related to stress. Okay. If the, obviously, the obvious one is to remove the stresses, but we all have lives to lead and we can't remove all of the stresses from, from our lives. So what can we do from a food point of view to help? Yeah, so that's, and that's exactly it, Patricia. There's no point saying to somebody, well, stop, you know, change your job or get rid of a couple of your kids. <laughs> you know, how can people <laughs> change their lives? So it is all about managing it with diet and health supplements and I suppose I always think as well being kind to yourself for at least 10 to 15 minutes a day. So diet-wise, the most important thing is blood sugar balance. Um, When you don't eat for long periods of time, at night time, this would be a typical example, it's cortisol that helps to manage your blood sugar. So cortisol mobilizes your glucose stores and your fat stores to keep your blood sugars up enough when you're sleeping, that they don't drop so low that you don't go into you know, a coma. So eating little and often takes the pressure off the adrenals to have to manage your blood sugar. So one of the things about being stressed and busy, Patricia, is that you go long periods of not eating and then you're craving sweet things and caffeine to give you that energy buzz to keep you going. But it's very important to cut the sugar out. So um, making sure you have your breakfast, lunch and dinner, having snacks with you at all times that if you can't get to eat a lunch um, or a breakfast that you have a banana or a packet of nuts in your handbags. Smoothies and yogurts are also good ways of getting nutrient-rich foods into you on the go. Um, removing sugar and caffeine as much as possible because while they give you an immediate kick, they just stress the body out in the long term. Alcohol, of course, is another thing people often use to relax, but again, that is in the long term going to stress the body even further. So limiting alcohol as much as possible. Um, you know, maybe have your glass of wine at night if that's what you need to get off to sleep because sleep is hugely important, but don't hammer it then at the weekends. So a diet rich in complex carbohydrates that will p- provide a nice slow release of energy. So your brown rice, brown pasta, potato with the skins on, brown and whole grain breads, plenty, plenty vegetables. So try and get it in with smoothies and soups because they're a great way of not having to, um, you know, prepare a load of veg in a dinner. I always as well, Patricia, rely on frozen veg when I'm really busy. 
so that I can at least go to the freezer and, you know, get four, three or four portions of veg in with my dinner if I don't have time to sit down and peel veg and cook veg separately. Um, fruit uh, fruit juices, again, probably too many, too much sugar. So if you're having a smoothie, make sure that there's only one or two pieces of fruit in it and put in something like an avocado or a protein powder or um, maybe some nut butter just to kind of delay the release of sugars into the blood. And vegetable juice is, again, a great way of getting loads of nutrient-rich foods into the body. So that would be diet. And then sleep is key, you know, trying to get to sleep before 11 o'clock and sleep within that circadian rhythm. And then staying asleep. Staying asleep, which is often a problem. So a couple of things that might help you get off to sleep would be... Oh, Annalise has just up and disappeared on us. And we, we we put her back out there and we'll get her back on the uh, line. And while we're doing that, I can take a quick look. We don't have a lot of time. Just a quick look at some of your texts. Dennis in Oxford says, I regard the paramedics. Uh, being expected to do a 32 hour shift. It is clearly a health and safety issue. If you carried out, if they'd carried out the requested task, they would have been endangering the child, the sick child that they were bringing uh, to Dublin, also themselves and the general public on the road through lack of sleep and exhaustion. And that's from uh, Dennis who's listening to us online in uh, Oxford. Thank you for your WhatsApp, Dennis. Quickly back to a couple of minutes left with Annalise. Uh, She's back on the line. Uh, Annalise, you were talking about the need for sleep. Before we get to that, a listener says, would needing vitamin B12 be a sign of adrenal fatigue? No, um, not at all, actually. Now, the B vitamins are hugely important to support your adrenals, but generally a low B12 either means that you're not getting enough of it in your diet, which is common if you're a vegetarian, or you're not absorbing it. So you need a very strong stomach acid to activate something called intrinsic factor, Intrinsic factor then will bind on to B12 and it'll carry it across into your bloodstream from your digestive system. So if you're on a proton pump inhibitor or an acid inhibitor, that will mean you're not absorbing your B12. Some people have low um, stomach acid genetically, so they'll find it difficult to absorb B12. And then people who've got like celiac disease where the absorption of everything is very poor can often show up as B12. So I would look at all of those things first. Okay, and Um, talk to us about supplements then for adrenal fatigue. So, as I said, the B vitamins are massively important and so is vitamin C. So definitely a vitamin B complex with vitamin C is is the the starting point. There's other things very good as well um, in terms of herbs. Rhodiola is one of my favourite ones. I mention it a lot, I think, on the show and for stress management. And it's a very gentle herb. You generally won't notice an immediate effect, but after about a month, you'll realise, gosh, last month, that would have sent me over the edge. Now, and this month, I'm coping well. So, rhodiola is spelled R-H-O-D-I-O-L-A, and you'll get it in any health shop. Another one that's brilliant as well, especially if your immune system is struggling a bit, is something called astragalus. And um, you, again, you'll get it in a health shop. It's spelled A-S-T-R-A-L-A-G-U-S, astragalus. Ashwagandha is a a beautiful Indian herb that's wonderful, again, for stress. And people who use ashwagandha on a regular basis would say that they just cannot cope without it. Um, It's something that's safe to take with most medications and you can take it long term. And then if you're very low in the energy, ginseng is a great way of kind of giving yourself an energy buzz without resorting to caffeine. Again, it's not good for long term use, but definitely will get you over a hump. So all of those are great. And then for sleep, I think things like um, uh, magnesium, which again is a great stress buster, 
try and get it in a form that's called a biglycinate. Um, and that's just much better absorbed. It gets straight into the system. So it's called magnesium biglycinate, B-I-G-L-Y-C-I-N-A-T-E. All the health shops will have it. Um, some people think that the valerian is great for getting off to sleep. L-theanine is another one. So in your health shop, they should have a couple of different sleep remedies. It might take a few tries before you get the one that works okay, for you. And, and one I know we often get calls in about the lullaby milk. People swear by that as well. OK, I'm over on time. I've got to leave it there. We'll talk again next week, Thanks, Annalise. Thank you for that. A mine of information, as always, is our Annalise Drissel from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. Thanks, John Paul. Back with you tomorrow at 10. Nick, up next. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. See 103. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.